Well, you should have gone to the UBS vaults and gotten your family's gold on the way. Um, I mean, but instead I got IBS, so... (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're back. Hello. Hey, how are you, Amir? Good, how's it going? Uh, I'm drenched and waterlogged. (laughs) Is it the rainy season in Berlin? Has it started? Yeah, there's a thunderstorm. I almost got hit by lightning. <laughs> oh my god! Be careful. <laughs> um, How are you doing? Good. It's been like what two weeks since we last spoke. I know. Sorry. This is I another. Vi- this is another very early morning Eastern time edition for <laughs> me. I uh, made sure not to go to bed at one a.m. Um, as we did la- as I did last time. But you might hear me smacking my lips and clearing my throat amy goodman style because i'm having my morning coffee as we record are you recording uh from your suka i am yeah <laughs> <laughs> my eternal suka the uh, outdoor dining uh, experience here in lovely uh, <laughs> gowanus brooklyn glad no one had to put any effort in this year there's yeah. just shacks everywhere yeah but uh then again so many people were uh, so many hostages were short for plywood um, there is a shortage yes but you know what there isn't a shortage of tons what? of fun today because we have a special guest <laughs> love the segue who's our special guest today all right well we have a really wonderful friend of the pod on today kate brown she's europe editor of artnet news our bible <laughs> and uh she's the co-director of ashley which is uh an artist run space in berlin and what else? What else should we know? Oh dear, um, that that keeps me quite busy throughout most of the week, actually. So we could stop there with my <laughs> many tasks. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for having me, you guys. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, welcome. And you're an Artnet pro, we should say. You're uh, <laughs> you're paywalled at the highest level. So I we, am. Uh, <laughs> I am sorry about that. I am behind the wall. I'm behind the fortress. You're on top of the wall. Yeah, looking out. I'm kind of like straddling the wall. <laughs> it's got like one leg over each side, depending on the uh, story. Well, we appreciate you uh, smashing the glass ceiling and climbing over the wall and meeting us here today <laughs> to record. Oh my God, I'm so excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the pod. I have some thoughts on things that I ate in Basel in case that's relevant. <laughs> yeah, we should just turn this into a culinary food critic uh, episode. Well, there is some risotto that's bubbling on the stove right now. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's our post-pod snack that we will get to. Um, smells very you, good. You want to tell us a thing or two about yourself aside from your current uh, engagements, just uh, for our listeners who might not know you? Yeah, um, I am from Canada. I've been living in Berlin for too long, I think since 2013 or something. And uh, yeah, I'm a curator. As Prashemik said, I, I run a project space here that's been going for about as long as I've been here. Um, I joined onto it, to be fair. And yeah, since about... Uh, Four or five years I've been working at Artnet, uh, covering all kinds of things, politics, culture, art sometimes. <laughs> and no, I'm joking. And um, yeah, I'm a mother. I have a beautiful daughter who's turning five in two weeks. I can't believe it. I remember when we, you were pregnant and we went for ice cream. Oh my God. Was that, what kind of ice cream did we have? Where were we? It was in Mitte. There was this really good place, kind of near Torstrasse. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I used to live in Mitte. Yeah. Good old Mitta. 
It's long gone now. It's possibly during the Mita Cup soccer tournament of the galleries. Oh my God. That, that messy event. Do you know about that, Amir? About what? It's an important cultural <laughs> event in Berlin that takes place in Mitte, um, where a bunch of galleries like make jerseys, soccer jerseys, and then they like play each other. So you can watch like Johann Koenig, like, you know, scoring against the <laughs> editor of Monopole or something like that. It's a weird thing. Uh, where, I have to, wait, uh, how long has this been a thing? Because uh, I left Berlin. Really? I left Berlin in 2013. I moved to Berlin in uh, 2007, and I've never heard of it. Maybe I just didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> well, one year, my brother was attacked from behind by a noted uh, gallerist. I will not name any names. That's for the After while, Dark Patreon while, special. While playing or just at yeah. random? No, like pushed from behind, uh, you know. Did he get red carded? Yeah, he got kicked out. Yeah. Mm. So. Do the dealers also referee? <laughs> i'll tell you later okay uh i don't know i think i don't know i don't know if they get a third party that's I think, neutral i think i only went that one time and we didn't really watch because we weren't that interested i'm not that interested in sports in general <laughs> wait so did you play this here or are you bringing this up uh Oh. oh no no i'm just saying that's when we and kate met yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not, not mad but like last i remember the the pregnancy and I see. Sorry, yeah. I'm playing the 8 a.m. Eastern Time card it's here. Okay. No, it was a huge <laughs> tangent. It was a tangent. It's fine. Uh, but Kate, you just uh, just came back from Basel. I did. Yeah, the the world famous Art Basel. Oh my god! Actually, I have not unpacked, even though I got back on like Friday because I I like basically collapsed. I like forgot how tiring art fairs are. Um, Kate, Kate brought some. Uh, some floor plans and maps we're looking at them wow. right now can <laughs> you can you can you hear the high quality paper can you hear that thick paper rustling yeah those, i brought are those carbon copies oh man i mean i was about to throw it out and then i was like maybe this is interesting um i can get into why i kept one of them a bit later um but uh yeah it was have you you guys have been, have you been to Basel before? Never. I've never I, been to Switzerland. Yeah, never. For I mean, political I've, reasons. <laughs> for political reasons. <laughs> um, I have only passed through Switzerland on the way to the Italian Alps, but uh, I, funnily enough, uh, my ex-boyfriend was Swiss, but I was never taken home to meet his parents, even though we were together for three and a half years. Shady. So, uh, Rude. I didn't, I didn't get to enjoy the uh, beautiful, lush uh, landscapes of Switzerland. Well, you should have gone to the UBS vaults and gotten your family's gold <laughs> on the way. Um, I mean, but it, instead I got IBS, so. <laughs> I mean, I, ba- Basel is a bit of like, it, maybe it would be called the ar- like an armpit of Switzerland. <laughs> like, it's not the most beautiful place in Switzerland, I hear. Uh-huh. Um, it's, there's like a fifth a kilometer or like a mile across the river Rhine on either side that's like quite cute and then as soon as you get beyond that you're just sort of in like a strange nondescript European town you know mm-hmm. okay so this was the 50th anniversary but actually it was last year <laughs> I know it's just like the Olympics yes. yeah uh weird so yes the catalog uh says 1970 to 2020 mm-hmm. but it was this year uh how many years have you gone there 
you know what? I'm I'm quite new to it. I only went for the first time last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it you know it only takes one year to really be like oh. And then I went back this year and I and everything was almost exactly the same, even though there had been a pandemic and a bunch of important events around the world. And I was like, oh, this is just how it is. Yeah. Um, rain or shine. Yeah. Well, and what was your kind of first impression of the big differences versus the pre-pandemic Art Basel that you were at? I mean, I disconcertingly, there weren't enough differences, you know? <laughs> um, I think obviously the biggest one was everyone was masked up. So it was like quite hilarious trying to recognize people. And I got a haircut <laughs> and like highlights. <laughs> and she doesn't mean a business haircut. <laughs> no. you, you didn't get a, a trim off your... Uh gross income no no (laughs) before uh no i have a new coiffure as they say and (laughs) um i with my mask on i was like i was like flying incognito like nobody recognized me so i was in this really uncomfortable situation of having to like pull down my mask to be like hey it's it's me from we saw each other like you know three months ago and nothing much has changed yeah and that was like a major difference like people being all masked up and other than that um everyone had these little bracelets on these little silky bracelets (laughs) which was like a bit of like a scandal because you had to keep them on all week so it was very like festival like you know not sanitary Uh well ringworm (laughs) (laughs) no but like you know when you go to like coachella oh yeah yeah it's that wristband yeah Yeah, it's like like, you're in you know like with the plastic bead that keeps it on (laughs) and you keep it on after for like the same were they the same color or were there different tiers (laughs) Oh my God, that's, they should, they should do that next year. They were all black, very Mm -hmm. discreet, except for this like huge metal clasp, which they like wedged onto your arm to make sure it would never come off or be like transferred. Also, uh, I read that if you had AstraZeneca, that wasn't enough. Psychotic. Yeah. Yeah. Switzerland uh, decided to accept that like on Monday of the fair. So like a little bit too late. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh I don't God. know why people are so whatever. Let's not get into the vaccine <laughs> crisis that we're having. But well, <laughs> what I noticed just seeing the the photos was, uh, yeah, all the same things that are at every other fair. Yeah, yeah, quite quite truly. I mean, I don't know. I it was. It's just so. I I love I love the fair in a lot of ways. I mean, there's so much amazing art there, but like, just like physically going into a fair is so unhealthy. It's kind of like being on like an airplane for like a week, you know? Like it's just this like regurgitated air, and I don't know. You're just like constantly in this like sealed off environment, and like the art kind of like helps that. But um, I don't know. It's just my system was quite like shocked or something. But was it because you were just? uh, Would you go to the Armory Week, Amir, in um, New York? I, I did the fairs and um, it didn't feel like that crazy of a big event here because, I mean, New York's accustomed to these, like, I mean, there's something going on here every week. I feel like in Basel, it felt more like a sort of a novelty or, a, um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just used to this sort of, uh, I guess, uh, high level of uh, energy expenditure in the city in terms right. of uh, cultural events. Um, yeah. Yeah, true. It's like a constant grind there. And so we had read that there was a lot of drama on Twitter. <laughs> um, anti-American collector sentiment. Uh, oh, my God. Can you give us some background on that? <clears throat> well, I 
Oh my God. I read the Twitter feed. I don't know like too much about anything um, about what they actually felt about it. But yeah, so Bel- Belgian collector Alain Sauvé, who... Um, you know, was had just been in Berlin as well. He's a, he's a wonderful patron of the arts. A necker chief daddy. He has a he has a cravat. Is that what a they're cravat. called? Yeah, a, a cravat uh, <laughs> daddy. Yeah, yeah. He's he's very like European with a capital E. You yeah. know, except he doesn't have that giant mane of wavy, rich sociopath hair. He does not have that. That's true. Yeah, he has better hair than. He has great yeah. hair. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a great guy. I quite, li- I really like him. Um, but uh, he got quoted in an Artnet article, which, you know, maybe, I, like, maybe it wasn't the full quote of what he said or what he meant. It can happen to anyone. But sort of it sounded to some people, allegedly, um, <laughs> like he was sort of saying that because the Americans weren't there being so loud as they sometimes have a reputation to be, that um, it was better for meaningful conversations. Or I'm, you know, that's not the direct quote, but... Yeah, it it angered a few other loud males in the art world. Uh, other daddy of the art world, Kenny Schachter. Mm-hmm. Artnet <laughs> News columnist. <laughs> Is he paywalled, though? Oh, he's paywalled, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. We can, are you doing okay? Yeah, I think we might need access. We might need a discount code. <laughs> can I Can I just ask how this decision was made? Who gets paywalled and who uh, is left out? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the paywall is like most of the things that get paywalled are really like business to business type stories, you know, like for people who are like working in the art industry, hmm. particularly. Mm-hmm. And, and how, then, does, how does Kenny fall into that uh, category? <laughs> the gossiping Yenta. Of I, the art I world. wasn't being, it wasn't a shady question. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I think people really like, he's, he's, people really trust his, uh, expert opinion on things. You I know? like his column. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Sometimes it's great. I mean, and his new NFT sort of, uh, ism. ism yeah. <laughs> NFT ism. And he's kind of become the like flag bearer of yeah. that for the, for the contemporary yeah. world. Well, we, this is an anti NFT podcast. Okay. Just, just for the records. Okay. This is no. a, this is an NFT agnostic podcast. I, <laughs> I mean, fair enough. They don't make much sense to me either. I know. Well, and then Jerry Salt's screaming NFTs, there's great NFT art. Oh my <laughs> like God. Foaming at the mouth. He's so loud. I, but yeah, he, he was he needs to pipe down. He yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. He sounded off also about what Alain has said. So oh, he, he did. was also, I think, a bit offended, as uh, I recall, okay. on Twitter. And well, then I'm blocked, so I Oh yeah. What happened? Yeah. Long story for the Patreon one day. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but also it's like, but Jerry's really loud. He is. Like, as I mentioned on the podcast before, Jerry came by my booth at ALAC and just started being loud and yelling about my work and just, uh, doing a critique. Like I was an art student and Mm. they just flew him in across the country to come to our class and that's how he was behaving. And I was like, well, maybe this is, I don't know, maybe this is what like, people were feeling with the lack of sort of that type of archetype of person <laughs> at the fair, I guess. But th- that being said, there yeah. were like all the art advisors were there. Yeah. So like people didn't, maybe collectors didn't go, yeah. but there were art, there were so many American art advisors there. Also, I feel like there's a lot of unvaccinated collectors. There seem to be a lot of unvaxxed rich people. That's what I've been hearing. I oh, mean, really? especially, especially yeah. the West coast ones. I feel like all the Malibu 
collectors yeah. with their like the Kylie Jenner's, cra- their health crazes, and oh my god. I mean, they can afford to be individualistic, right? Exactly. Yeah. And like in bubbles, literally. I got to say this like stereotype of the loud American. Let me just say when Europeans, I mean, they don't come to the States anymore that often because of COVID. But like, I hear you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're audible. (laughs) There are loud Europeans, but Americans are loud. American tourists. Let's reframe that. They're They're friendly. They're friendly. But like you go into a bar in Berlin and there's screaming Americans and you're just like, everyone's everyone's talking at this level Mm. and they're like this (laughs) yeah and they also i mean that's what i love like whenever i go to new york it's like there seems like there's a very small space between you and the person beside you just like leaping into a conversation like people just talk to you yeah yeah that i love which is nice i mean in germany like if people talk to you it's because they're like telling you you're doing something wrong (laughs) so you like try to avoid being spoken to as much as possible in the public space (laughs) but i just always i always found it grating on the like the u-bahn where like germans make an effort to like whisper to each other when they converse on the train it's just like it's just like talking to your normal voice okay it's fine nothing's gonna happen like the, Sta- the stasi's not listening in any conversation anymore oh my god but but then they go in the quiet car and aren't quiet on the deutsche bahn train yeah as a mere experience oh my also, god they i just, had that uh, too yeah 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 exactly uh, they also just love to express their rage i guess through honking Prashama could attest to that true also they're always blocking the box it's like you know like in new york there's those signs do not block the box the intersection oh yeah drivers here love to just like leave the semi truck in the middle it's like oh i can go there's no space i have a green light yeah i mean that's that's such an insane traffic offense because you're just blocking traffic it just happened today in this rainstorm But also just the fact that pedestrians don't have the right of way in Berlin. Oh, I, like, I still oh don't really understand that. I guess it's like some efficiency concept where you like get the fast <laughs> ones out of the way, but then you're like, they're constantly coming. Like, I don't know when I'm supposed to cross the street here. Oh but um, yeah, about the quiet section on the way back from Basel, I was like completely wrecked. And I was in the quiet section, which I'd specifically chosen because I needed quiet and there was this mom with like two children and i had this like seinfeld moment where i was like i need to go and tell her to be quiet her kids are being so noisy but like i can't i don't have i wanted to like show that i had a child like show a picture be like hey look like i'm a parent but like (laughs) here are my credentials (laughs) but i I can i can legitimately say this to you with with empathy like shut up and like go into the children's section there's a section there's a whole section exactly with cute drawings on the walls yeah (laughs) And there was like this non-authority parenting style where they're like, oh, I hate you're, that. you're being a bit loud. I was oh like, my God. You're being I think that's really the, loud. That's the exact same family oh I God. had on my trip to Hamburg a couple of years ago. They were like free range or whatever. They were dressed in like macrame shawls and the kids were just like barefoot and like snotty and whatever. And I just wanted to tell them, shut up. You're in the wood. Dirt uh, covered. Yeah. Soiled. <laughs> like, what's that Peanuts character that always has like dirt? Pig pen. <laughs> yes. pig pen yeah. A couple of pig pens. <laughs> no, pig pen's cute. That oh was not God. cute. Okay. Okay. Um, what's also yeah, sorry ahead. to interrupt. What's the deal with um these Berliners that walk around with no shoes on? Everywhere. In Kreuzberg too, which is like yeah. a carpet of glass. Yeah. There's like glass, needles, dog poop. I don't know. A misinformed sense of freedom and you see them like every other day it's not like oh i saw one this year it's like, <laughs> i saw one today like, maybe maybe it's the adam neumann influence on uh, culture in berlin 
Oh I my don't God. know. It's all going downhill from here, though. We just had this election that like feels the election. disconcerting. Oh, right. Bette Midler won <laughs> on Seinfeld. Yeah, <laughs> she you looks... Also had a, you also had a Canadian elections. Yeah, but that uh, was yeah. like Groundhog Day. Like nothing Yeah, nothing happened. changed. Nothing and that was like such a moronic move. Like why did you just call an election? $60 million it cost, yeah. apparently. That's mm-hmm. it? Six hundred million. Oh yeah, oh, six zero. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it costs like a half a billion dollars to like move Do- the needle in no direction. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so crazy. Oh my god. Um, but um, yeah, like so yeah, there was this like feud, which like got quelled, I guess. But I think that they all must like maybe still dislike each other. I don't know. Can you like resolve something on Twitter? I mean, you, what do you get now? 220 characters? <laughs> like, <laughs> Not enough. Oh, my God. I need to go into a deep dive into their Twitters. Because I follow Kenny. But, you know, Twitter just randomly doesn't show you people's tweets. You're not mm. always seeing everything. So it's kind of hard to keep track until you actually click on their profile. But um, Kate, can I ask you how you would characterize the current moment in contemporary arts in the European markets. I'm trying to build up towards like a larger comparison between where the market is in Europe versus on the East and West coast here in the States. Um, like in a holding pattern, like I feel like unwilling and unable to like update itself, like n- in need of a software update. <laughs> How about that? A hard reset. Where, where would you hard. say... Where would you say it's stuck? What, what is the holding pattern? I mean, it seems like, I mean, on, on terms of like representational issues and collections and private collections, I don't think that like it's done, that a lot of institutions have done the work that American institutions have done. Mm-hmm. In terms of the art market, I mean, it just seems like it's co- organized by like a very small group of people and it hasn't really like diversified that much. What would mm-hmm. you say on that side of the Atlantic? Um, minus the institutional sort of progress that's been made, I feel like the, it's a good question because I mean, it definitely, it's also been on a holding pattern here in terms of what sort of, uh, gets highlighted in the press and what gets sort of, uh, top dollar sales. Um, it's funny because on the pod, we've sort of have been pushing or gunning or hoping for the pendulum swinging back towards like the uh the abstract sort of um you know taking hold of what interests people and so i feel like that is something that's been a holding pattern trying to like finally emerge out of the figurative obsession uh that's been going strong Mm -hmm. um i mean i guess you were talking more about sort of the the mm, the business side of the pattern being held i guess i'm talking more about what what uh, medium and genre and uh sort of subject matters I see. I see. Yeah. I misunderstood the question. Maybe. No, no, it's fine. I think this, I don't know, Prashemik, you probably agree. It's like largely the same as in the U.S. I mean, at Lista, where the whole fair was no longer in this like factory that made it seem like de facto more interesting, but everything was like organized in this like weird Foucault panopticon, which is also why I brought the map because I wanted to show you how, look at this. It looks like a planetarium. uh yeah, it looks like diagram. It's a spaceship from like a Kubrick film. It's like, <laughs> totally so there's like that. a, it was all organized in a circle. I'm, I'm getting to an answer, but so what the benefit of it was that like you could, everybody had the same kind of space, like all these young dealers, like nobody was stuck in like a, 
like a broom closet, like what happens at the old location where there's like just a lot of differences between what kind of space you get at that like brewery. But here you could really like walk around and really compare or see the connections between what like emerging young artists are making. And it was still so much of this like figurative, like green absinthe, like surrealist paintings that like, I don't know. I was just like, really? I know. There's so much of it. Yeah. Something I've noticed a lot here, actually over the last few weeks as I've been thinking, is like there's a lot of hyper-produced and fabricated installation. Mm-hmm. That's just like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also I also was noticing that too. Like if you're an artist who doesn't have a lot of means, like what mm-hmm. are your chances of being able to like 3D print like a huge sculpture with this new velvety like yeah. texture? Like... I don't know. It's like a little disconcerting, like what's being like cherished right now, you know? Also, where are these budgets coming from? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Sorry, Amir? Shemek, you had sent me that uh, Julius von Bismarck Uh, uh, piece. What fair was it in? Was it in Basel? That was uh, the one that looked like the torpedo thing. The bobbing thing? The bobbing thing. Yeah, that buoy. That was at Basel. The astronaut capsule or whatever. Yeah, that was at our Basel okay yeah 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 that was at unlimited i'm like yeah i um i'm pretty sure that was his von bismarck but yeah like it's this bobbing kind of you're like kind of looking underneath a buoy or something it was in it was in Bergheim. see i boycotted that show so ah uh, fair <laughs> i mean i got a press ticket so yeah. it was sort of like a boycott um, going. i took up space <laughs> <laughs> well i'm looking at the unlimited thing so there's actually a lot yeah Ulysse von bismarck was literally in the center of it all yeah and to be fair one of the few sculptures like i there was so few sculptures there was so much big yeah giant painting. giant fancy large like a lot of figurative paintings um and very few like bold projects. I mean, other than the bread house, and <laughs> which, was, which I heard was a, a shanty house, like <laughs> exposed two by four screws, like spray foam, <laughs> like melting, and a lot of crumbs like around it, you know, because people were kind of like traipsing in and out oh, to God. get selfies, and then but it was like on like also very confusingly on Persian rugs. Which like I really? was trying to get a read on that. I was like, okay, I get the Zurich bread thing. Like, okay, you were so European. Oh yeah. and the Persian bakery rug. I would go to. <laughs> I mean, mind you, that type of work, I, I, I said it to you, P, like that's like classic BFA end of year show yes. um, installation. I had it at Udaka. I saw, I guess in 2010 or something, somebody did that for their, their BFA show. When I was in architecture school that same year, there was a BFA student that made a house of sweets. And it was like, you could grab the brownies and the cookies and the cakes and eat them. This was like a house. And uh, it's just, I feel like every BFA show does have a, mm. a house made of baked goods. I mean, in, in defense of Urs Fisher, which he does not really need defending, but like um, in defense of like the, that statement or project um it like at least it's daring you know and and whoever bought that is like you have to how would you i mean one one art advisor at this like dinner was like can you imagine the bugs like my my like clients don't want to buy that like the pests you know oh my god honestly i find it's i'm just unfazed by the pissing contests of art advisors selling stuff that's in like in uninstallable or whatever to their clients oh for God, like top dollar. <laughs> um, 
I Artists am. Love sell it and forget it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, sorry, collectors. I am looking through the best sold paintings, sort of the the top list that you that I'm seeing on Artnet News, and it's just fascinating to me. I might be stating the obvious that the biggest sellers are American artists. Mm. So cool. Philip Gustin sold the poet for six and a half million with Hauser and Worth. Uh, second on the list is Keith Haring for five million. Then Kerry James Marshall, Mark Bradford, Mark Rochin, uh, Barkley L. Hendricks. Who is Markley? Barkley L. Hendricks. I've never heard of this artist. <laughs> did that's pro- the general idea AIDS painting sell? That's what I want to know. You know, they didn't announce anything. And I feel like they would have now. Yeah. Because they really like pushed that. Yeah. I mean, everyone was posting that. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it didn't sell. Wait. Is there a simple explanation for why the top sellers are American artists? Ooh. I wonder. I mean, I in a... In a European venue. Yeah, and I also it's a it's a good question and also a good question because like I think that some of the art that got sold, like I know that the um Maliko Mokozi, this like insane, beautiful, like four-walled painting called Bread, Butter and Power, which was presented by Jack Shaman and, and Gagosian, like sold to an American foundation so like they brought it right. i just like wonder is that like how much they must have spent bringing that all the way to europe just to like sell it back to the states is there some i don't i don't know if there's some sort of advantage in that but so so you are essentially saying that uh those might have sold to american collectors sort of the top sales well some of them for sure yeah. some of them for sure i would say um and i guess it's just the price of doing business it's just a marketing opportunity even if the work is pre-sold it's like so you're yeah. saying so you're saying the american hegemony of the art world is just <laughs> using and abusing basel <laughs> as, as a free port <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're playing the victim card for switzerland right now <laughs> that is interesting um i don't know would it be easy to sell to sell a uh, 6.5 million a dollar philip gusson painting to a european collector what is this like what's it like in europe nowadays I don't, I don't know. I mean, that might have even gone to a European collections. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to say. I want um, more data. And I feel like, I feel like also, I would imagine a work like that is probably a secondary sale. Like it's not mm-hmm. like fresh to market. Yeah. You know? Well, that's what I've it's heard. From 1975. Yeah, and that like a big part of Hauser and Worth's business is secondary market sales and not necessarily right like, contemporary. Yeah. I also, same- yeah, sorry. Just apropos my earlier question, uh, sort of trends that are more viable in Europe versus the States. I feel like these top selling artworks that I'm seeing on the list are very sort of U.S. culture specific or like au courant in terms of what, what occupies sort of the discourse these days in America. And the fact that they're the top, like the biggest sellers in America, in uh, Europe, sorry, is... I find interesting, like Carrie James Marshall selling for five million in Europe, Philip Gustin, which you know the discourse has been so hot around and contested around those works in the states in the past couple of years with the cancellation of where was that show supposed to be? Well, I think it was supposed to be at the Tate. It was supposed to go to a few oh, museums. Oh right, Tate. Yeah, Sorry, Gustin my bad. but nevertheless, I agree. Yeah. He's like a super um, Americana kind yeah. of artist. Yeah. And Keith Haring, too. I just find it so funny that these very American culture discourse-centric artists um, are featured on the top of the top-selling lists in Europe. I mean, it, 
it makes I, I don't have like a very intelligent answer, but if you think about like pop culture in general, it feels like in all cultural spheres, like it feels like the US is such a power. Um, so they seem to bring up the best, maybe they bring up the best painters. I mean, the art schools there are crazy, like Yale and all of this. I mean, you get such an in- intense training there. Whereas <laughs> I feel like in Europe, and, and they're brand just, yeah, <laughs> after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Wait, so are you are you in a sense justifying a uh, um, sort of America's superiority over the quality <laughs> near? Is that my takeaway from what you're saying? <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just bearing witness to it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I cannot get over this Mark Rotian painting, um, which sold for four million four million dollars <laughs> yeah i was telling you yesterday yeah i find it so fascinating because he has a, a show once a year or so he's not spoken about like every other minute and in the news here in the art world and still those work sells for sale for like upward of hmm. i mean they always sell for a few million do, do you okay. like his work do you guys like his work He's, I'm indifferent. Yeah, same. He's not my cup of tea. I appreciate what he does. I mean, uh, one artist I think is extremely overhyped co- compared to him is Mark Bradford in terms of just formal painterly qualities. That's just my opinion. Um, I just don't get why they're four million. It's oil on cardboard <laughs> mounted on linen. <laughs> Mar- Mark Rochins? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mark Bradford's are usually huge, so you could make a case for that price point, but whatever. And Carrie James Marshall's are just so painterly and skilled. The quality is definitely there. Keith Haring, I mean, I get the sort of the cultural provenance importance and Philip Gustin too, but like, I don't know. I'm not sure the other ones I would pay that much money for like helen frankenthaler only three million dollars compared to keith herring that sold for yeah. five and a half i mean she's an icon she's a legend and uh still the moment so. yeah and in, yeah. In, inspired a very important uh, uh polish series named pashemi <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and of, of course like I, Georg baselitz is like up there in the high sales too yeah. twice um, I gotta say, I went to the opera last night for the first time uh, since it reopened. Actually, oh my God, it, reop- it reopened after like eighteen months or so, a couple of nights ago. And so, but I went to the second opera the second night, and I noticed they installed a small Dana Schutz painting under a small to medium Sarah. Sa- is it Shara Sahara Hughes painting? Shara Hughes, I think. Shara Hughes, yeah. And I was just very surprised to see their work hanging like over the bar like next to the huge chagall at the opera i just found it interesting and there's a new rasheed johnson commission that i guess replaced the cecily uh is it cecily or cecile brown i'm getting cecily cecily Cecily. i'm thinking of that what's her name from snl (laughs) cecily strong cecily strong i'm butchering so many names forgive me (laughs) uh yeah the rasheed johnson mosaic looks nice I didn't I realize that the bit. opera is it the Met, op, Metropolitan Opera had such a like formidable art collection. Um, it's not a collection, but they have a rotating commission at the like. Um, it's I'm forgetting which floor it's on, but like uh, it's like a centerpiece basically, and the whole the whole design of the space is just sort of uh, leads you to that one central uh, 
central access point in every floor that it's just like it's it's visible you see it and up until i guess before uh covid hit they had a huge uh, or maybe it's still there and i didn't see it last night they had a huge golden george condo sculpture on the <laughs> balcony overlooking the plaza uh just like a goopy one of his goopy heads uh that's all golden but mm. um yeah, those like those Dana Schutz and Shara Hughes felt like shoe ins. It's just like it was in a corner, like like what is it doing there? Like somebody I guess had to like raise their property value using this like <laughs> what was in the Dana Schutz painting. Uh let me pull up that picture. It was just some like like flat goopy, like figurative <laughs> stuff. Oh, it's like um, um, it's a mother and a child, I guess, on the beach, and the mother's like undoing a a parasol, and the son has like a beach ball or whatever. It's just not it's not my cup of tea. I'm sorry, <laughs> not being shady. It's just my opinion. The Shara Hughes is just like one of her landscapes, whatever. It's also not my cup of tea. Um, I have to go back to the Helen Frankenthaler for a second. So. Uh, there was a Christie's auction May 11th, 2016. <laughs> hmm. It sold for $1 million US. Uh, and then sold now for $3 million at our, our puzzle. There, there's a cu- if you, yeah, there's a couple instances of that. Maybe that's why they take the works to Art Basel. Yeah. Hmm. I think so. But then if they don't sell, I think it's also, they kind of get burned. No. Yeah. Well, um, that's quite are- the markup. Kate, what are some of your your top three likes and your top three dislikes in the art world this moment? So pet peeves and hotties <laughs> are the hotties and naughties of uh, art world items and whatever. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's a big question. Um, a, I guess through a professional lens. Mm. I mean, NFTs is are pretty frustrating. <laughs> that would be a first one. How so? Um, I, I, I remember when someone said something to me about like speculative realism. Do you remember when that was like a hot thing in the art world? Yeah. Around the time of post-internet and they were like, this is interesting, but it doesn't need to be art. And I was mm-hmm. all, and I kind of, that thought like stuck with me when this sort of advent of NFTs kind of burst forth at the beginning of this year where I was like, this is maybe viable and like something to consider. But like, for me, I don't understand why we, I need to be like standing in front mm-hmm. of, or I guess you're not standing in front of it really ever. But like, I don't really under, I don't see like the critical art in it yet which mm-hmm. is not to say that it won't like arrive you know like and i think that there's are interesting artists that are, are make are working in this domain but um it's not like what i want to um cuddle up with you know? right. i mean yeah, it's a, like an ownership contract method. yeah <laughs> and in that in that sense of course there's interesting ways to transgress it and make conceptual art about it you know like as simon denny has done with his like he sold an nft for the kunsthalle basel and is like donating all of the money back to basel mm. to the city of basel which doesn't mm. need any money so like but the gesture is to c- critique the private the hyper privatization of nfts so like it, you know there's there's interesting kind of discussions going on but like it's not particularly interesting to my eyes. Well, if you know tell I mean. him to send it to Amir's Venmo and Cash app, um, <laughs> since <laughs> I don't have one because I'm in Europe. <laughs> well, there's the German saying, "Ist das Kunst oder kann das weg?" And I feel like in this respect, you would, I would dare to say, is it Kunst or could it be an essay instead? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not everything has to take on a visual form if it's the merits are not there. And a lot of stuff just, you know, could have ended up just being a wall text without the yeah. art itself. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's just turned into this like merchandise fiesta where like everyone's just like making additions. And it's like, it's like we just like discovered posters for the first time or something. <laughs> exactly. yeah, you totally. know, like, yeah. yay, I can have yeah. Catalina Gosa on my hard drive, yeah. you know, but I don't yeah. really. I don't get the point. Yeah. It's because it makes certain people a lot of money. Yeah. And so. people like, I guess it's so much it's rife for money laundering. Totally. We're looking huh. at you, certain people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And next, what other, uh, Oh God! Naughties. <laughs> I mean, for me, uh, figurative painting. In I love figurative painting, but I'm very disconcerted by the like over reliance of it right now. Like, if if it has a body, it sells, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. Kind of thing, which is a bit problematic for me, and particularly because it's like I, while I individually like love so many of the artists that have come out of like the black figurative movement, I find it very like wild to witness like how how much that has just been like taken up by the market and blown up people's careers and and they're probably being collected by largely white collectors and there's something I find like really disconcerting about that even though like it is so many of those artists are are all of them really like the ones that are big right now are incredibly amazing but then does become limiting for other artists who are black that don't work in that space yeah or maybe don't want to like talk about representation not that there's anything wrong with talking about representation but if you choose to to somehow just that's not your primary yeah. focus, you know? Yeah. I mean, is there is there a model, though, to, you know, have your voice be elevated without getting commodified to that extent, to that level? I mean, well, that's the question, right? Like, I was talking to, I had I did a panel like a couple of weeks ago about, about women's labor in the arts, and I asked the, the gallerist who was on the panel, like, when you're selling a female artist and you only have like 30 seconds before that collector like leaves your booth and goes to the next one on the VIP day of freeze, like do you rely on identifiers to like hook that person? And you know, she said no. And and I, I for sure believe her, but like I can imagine that for, um, for, you know, when you have a pitch and you have like 10 seconds for someone's attention, like maybe you kind of go to like, oh, this like young women artist, you know, just to kind of because people like that right now. Yeah. And I find that also kind of worrying because then you're not talking about the art first, you know, but right. but of course, it's also important to, to do it at the same time. It's very, yeah. very complicated. And I mean, uh, the black figurative moment, I feel like very much so wears its heart on its sleeve. I mean, the subject matter and the things that concern the artists are very evident in the uh you know, the, the symbolism and the cho- choice of like, you know, figurative elements. And so that's, there's, there's a very short connection between the artist's intentions, the artist's identity and the way it's sort of uh, expressed, represented on the canvas. Um, just saying. Um, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's so, inc- it's so important to to have these included in institutions and invisible, like there's this Kahinda Wiley, mm-hmm. sorry. Um, the, at the museum in Dresden in this kind of like old master's hall. And it's right. like, you know, all these like very traditional sculptures of like white male Europeans that were probably like benefactors of colonialism in many different ways. And then there's just this incredible Kahinda Wiley just like hung amongst them. And, you know, like moments like that is are so powerful. Um... I kind of, I don't know, my only concern with sort of copy-pasting these American efforts onto a 
the cultural sphere of Europe is that Europe just doesn't have the same sort of ethnic diversity setup that the States has. And so maybe implementing those same sort of discursive like tactics won't have the same effect in Europe because the re just the reality on the ground is so different there. Um, I, well, know, I think I what I'm... Europeans love to do is like point at uh, America's kind of racial issues while ignoring our own here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's easier to kind of like engage with with um, that discourse than like what is the actual like issue with racism, right? In Germany, for mean, example, or yeah, you know, because I mean, at the end of the day, in uh, Germany, for example, this this is at the end of the day an intellectual sort of exercise because the the pressing need to uh, you know assimilate other ethnicities and diversify is not as sort of it's not as pressing as it is in the States because in the States it's been a de facto reality for, you know, over 200 years now. And, and in Germany, the vast majority of the population is still overwhelmingly white to the point where there's no sort of pressure for reckoning that is very much sort of in order. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I, mean, I think that there definitely is. And I think that there's a lot of diversity here that's just not ignore it just maybe seem like seems more invisible than it actually is because of the sort of entrenched racism right i mean right like in Ber like in berlin this year the most um common birth name was i think muhammad i heard that on berlin briefing and it just shows like you know it's such a diverse city here and yet right. you know I think that the like there's such a the representation that you would see in like if you looked at index on any given month, you know, the like the calendar here, it does not represent accurately like that the kind of but you know, I also think that comes down to like who gets to make art and in general, mm -hmm. you know, um <clears throat> art is a pretty like elite undertaking, elitist undertaking if you have time, money, space, and you're not like suffering from like generational oppression. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think that that on both sides of the water, that's like something that like greatly factors into that. Yeah. Like if you've grown up in poverty or you're the first person in your family to go to college, chances are you're not going to art school. Like, yeah. <laughs> like why would you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Unfortunately. Um, okay. And now some hotties. What are, what are the hotties? Oh God, I wish you, I feel <laughs> ill prepared for these questions. <laughs> um, hotties. Or even something you loved lately. Like, I mean, well, to go back to Basel, cause that was like the last place that I was like looking at art, um, which kind of folds into the conversation that we were just having. Um, there was the close up show at the Fondation Bayler. It was like an exhibition of portraits um, by only female artists. And it started like in the 18th 1800s and went up until like today and, and Elizabeth Payton. And it was, it was such a brilliant curation because it wasn't instead of kind of like mixing them all up and trying to find like thematics, they really just gave every single female artist like an entire room and this nice. really like elegant, again, like, not trying to like read anything into the work other than the fact that it was like in incredible portraiture that just by, by women artists. And so it was, it was truly inspiring. It was amazing. And it just, it was encouraging to see this kind of like next um, phase of like how to deal with this, these subjects, you know, cause a lot of the artists that were in that show were like overlooked for a long time. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to Google it. Yeah. What, yeah, what are some uh, stylistic or sort of medium 
uh, focus items that you're into? <laughs> in art these days on a more formal or level i don't know maybe maybe like an artwork that you really liked uh at the fair something that's contemporary by a young mm. artist ah i see yeah uh my one of the my favorite well i had two one of my favorite works actually that i saw at the fair was by this artist matt copson and i feel like you guys might not like this work but um <laughs> it was this like laser projection on a wall so you see where i'm live mm-hmm. <laughs> um of this like swinging baby and oh the God. baby it was called the work was called like of coming age and it was this this like small child and you couldn't tell if they were like um female or male it didn't matter there was like little cherub and they were like singing this song about like sort of end of times it was almost like a kind of like a greek chorus or something oh, it looks fun it's yeah, it was really cool. And it's actually part of like a, it's a three-part opera um, that has like been at Clearing apparently and High Art. And it was just like, I don't know, it was cool because of course it, on this, if you look at a JPEG of it, it looks kind of like digital art, but it actually was really like a, like an analog light installation. Um, and it, I really liked it. I liked the simplicity of it, you know, like um, so oftentimes like things are like so loud and maximal just to like kind of grab your attention and the urgency of whatever issue you might be trying to like speak about. But this work was just like so simple and like rigorous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like that. I mean, it's, it, it surprises me because I'm not techni- not usually into like that kind of work, but I'm, I found myself thinking about it a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, so and it, how many? It's opera that does not look annoying. So yeah, yeah. I'd like the to see. The, I'd like world. to see the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, how many years of viability are left to the figurative moment? <laughs> what is your prediction? <laughs> I feel like I'm, I feel like it's, there's the assumption that I know anything, <laughs> but my prediction. You're God. a crystal ball. <laughs> yeah, I'm the orb of Salvatore yeah. Mundi's painting. No, um, oh my gosh, I don't know. It's probably already shifting. No, just the fact that like we can acknowledge that it's kind of feeling tired I mean I don't like this mode of like categorically writing things off you know like it feels unfair Mm -hmm. like I think there's a lot of incredible figurative painting out there Mm -hmm. it's more just like this assumption that it's it's going to be valuable just because it fits the form and just the market like doubling down like dealers becoming obsessed with it like yeah it's hot because I read an article and these advisors want it so Mm -hmm. I have to now find a figurative painter what about landscape painting I was thinking about that last week. That's, How has there not been a specific landscape? Maybe that's moment? what's coming next. Maybe like <laughs> let's the, make it happen. The figurative is just going to fade into the background, which is like a landscape painting. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably what's okay. Gonna we're happen starting next. a new landscape movement. You curate the show. Twenty twenty two. Yeah, new landscapes. Yeah, the year of I mean pastoral living, yeah. rural. Yeah, just forests yeah. and shit. And it addresses climate change. That's true. So oh, we've already pitched it. There we go. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm just hoping that the coloring book aesthetics moment sort of dies down eventually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure. I um I really enjoyed being here. Thank you. It's wonderful having a stan on that's not an actual stan, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know if I do. But a stalker I love it. fan. Ah, okay, gotcha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and an actual professional, an insider. 
Yeah, someone that knows what they're talking about, unlike us. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I have to correct you there because I think like as you have such a different kind of proximity to art by virtue of being artists, yeah. you know, like it's not the you have a much more intimate relationship with <laughs> with art and and how you might go and approach a painting. So true. That's true. <laughs> different <laughs> different styles. All right. Well, talk to you soon, Amir. Talk to you soon. It was nice having you on. Cheers. Bye.